you have your Bibles, you can open up to 1 Peter chapter 5 is where we're kind of closing up as we kind of do. And again, we'll be starting in verse 8. Natra and Carolyn did the first half of chapter 5 last week. Great little study. Again, all of the studies as well, they're all online. And so you can go and watch all of the studies that we're doing as well as um, stuff that we were doing last year, I think. Um, I think most all of that was videotaped and uh, the series and stuff. But before that, we were just, it was audio, it wasn't video. Um, but now that we're set up in this room with a lot of video stuff, we'll be doing all video from here on out. But uh, first, Peter, um, let's pray again. Father, again, do thank you for your word and how you have used it to speak and minister to our hearts as we, Lord, go through these last few verses here in chapter five, would you please use them to speak and to minister to our hearts the things we need to hear? God, again, all of us, um, <laughs> uh, we're all on this journey together and we're all moving towards you and uh, we're all disciples, Lord. We're all, in a sense, interns. Uh, none of us have arrived. Even Paul the Apostle said that, and as we're going to look at that as well tonight, we've not arrived, but we're on this journey. So as interns, teach us, be patient with <laughs> our many mistakes, and yet continue to lead and guide and direct us that we would, um, again, Lord, finish well and be able to stand in your presence and to hear you say to us, well done, good and faithful. And Lord, no greater place for you to work in that is within our own marriages, Lord. So um, please have your way with us, we ask and pray. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. First Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may Devour. Now, again, and I've kind of been harping on this since we started First Peter, and I'm loving it, and I'm actually doing a couple of men's um, retreats, um, in one in, in Oregon and one in Washington, and this is going to kind of be more of my theme of Peter is telling us the way in which we should act and conduct ourselves, God cares greatly about. And so here he's basically saying, hey, listen, be sober. And the word literally is, is to abstain from wine in a sense of, uh, you know, as we talk many times, as I share, don't be under the influence of your flesh, but be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. But it's, it's to watch, to, uh, to keep awake, to be, or to be alert, to discreet. This is what that word means. And then as well, to be vigilant, to keep awake. And again, like in Ephesians 5, Peter tells us the same thing. Paul tells us there in Ephesians 5, 15, see then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. And again, there is an enemy that is out there Peter describes him as a roaring lion. Listen, he does not want to jump in your lap and lick your face. He wants to jump on you and eat your face. He wants to devour us. He wants to destroy. He came to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And he wants to do that. He wants to destroy my relationship with God. He wants to destroy my relationship with my spouse. And, and he will not stop. 
He is relentless. Again, even after, for us, 38 years of marriage, and he's still coming after. He's still wanting to destroy our lives. So Peter tells us, hey, your job, you know, be sober, be vigilant. The enemy's job, he is wanting to destroy you. He's trying to destroy you. But verse 9 says, resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Resist him. Stand against the devil. As we saw a few weeks ago with the armor of God, we are, are to stand, Ephesians 5, against all the enemy is trying, the devil is trying to do. Again, the secret, I've read this, the secret of spiritual warfare is steadfast resistance. That's kind of this chapter we called, or this portion is, is precious resistance, that we are to stand against the wiles of the enemy. Again, as we looked at a couple weeks ago, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. And again, people listen, in this, we are never, ever alone, okay? God is always with us. He just, he wants us to stand. But oftentimes we think, I'm the only one going through this or I'm the only one that's experiencing this. Listen, just like he told Elijah, Elijah, you may think you're the only one, but I got a whole bunch of others. So get off your pity party and let's get moving for, for the kingdom of God. So again, we are called to resist him. Verse 10. But the God of all grace, I just love this verse, the God of all grace who called us to his eternal glory by Jesus, Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. And I, again, I love as Peter is closing out the book, reminding us that he is the God of all grace. All grace, grace. Uh, there's an acronym. God's riches at Christ's expense, G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense, the goodness of God poured out into our lives. He's called us to his eternal glory. Again, as Peter told us in chapter one, it's an inheritance that's incorruptible, undefiled, reserved in heaven, does not fade away. It is there for us. But he reminds us, after you suffered a while, and again, we are going to go through the trials and tribulations as part of our walk on the planet. The Lord is watching how we are going to do with our attitude and our actions in the process. God wants to do all this within our lives. He wants to perfect, to establish, to strengthen, and to settle. And we'll talk a little bit more about that later. Verse 11, to him. Be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. And again, I love that. All glory goes to the Lord. And I love that dominion. Or he is the one who has all controlling power. All controlling power. God is the one who has the power. And it is forever. By uh, Salvanius, our faithful brother, as I consider him, as I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God in which you stand. Again, Silas... Uh, is mentioned, and I love this, as our faithful brother, as I consider him. Paul looked at Silas and said, that is a faithful brother. And yet I think about that. How do we want to be remembered? Oftentimes when you're going to a memorial service, they'll talk about the person. I remember going up to Northern California, and I have a cousin who had passed away. He was young. 
and uh, when, I, when I didn't really know him very well, but his brother stood up and he said, well, I would love to tell you guys a lot of great things about my brother, but you guys all know he was a jerk, so I won't, you'll think I'm lying to you. And I'm thinking, wow, what a commentary on that. That's, that's not how I want to be known. But I remember, even as Les is here today, Cynthia's memorial right here. And everyone who talked about Cynthia and she had impacted every single person, there's lives. And it was just like, it was, a, it was incredible. It was amazing just to be a part of. And I think about, you know what? That's how I would like to be remembered. How is it that we're being remembered? And I love that. As a faithful brother, sister, or Pat the flaky guy, Pat the, the jerk and stuff, which I have been in my life, and yet that's not the person I want to be remembered for. I want to be remembered as a faithful brother in the Lord. And again, Peter summing up all that he's speaking about, it says, this is the true grace of God in which you stand. Again, people, listen, outside the grace of God, I am a vile, wretched sinner. That's why Paul said, except for the grace of God, I'm going to do all of those vile things just as much as anyone else. But by the grace of God, he's the one who allows me to to stand. Verse 13, she who is in Babylon, elect together with you, greets you, and so does Mark, my son. Again, little not sure quite of what this verse is exactly saying or who this is. She probably refers to the church, which in ancient Greek is in the feminine. There was, of course, the little city of Babylon on the Euphrates. It was also a place known as Babylon in Egypt. It was a Roman military fortress fortress near the present city of Cairo. Yet many think that Peter meant Babylon in a symbolic sense to represent the city of Rome. As a biblical concept, Babylon as the city of this world stands in contrast to Jerusalem as the city of God. So he may have meant Rome as Babylon or the center of worldliness, but we don't completely know. But verse 14, greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all you who are in Christ Jesus, amen. And again, this was their common greeting back then. It was the kiss of love or charity, that word is the agape, you know, and stuff. This is not the, hey, there's a cute girl, I'm going to go kiss her. Um, This, which unfortunately, when I first got saved, was a part of a few of the fellowships that I was involved with. It was more the kiss of lust rather than the kiss of love, but that's not what he's talking about here uh, it's the, just their way of, you know, their introduction. Our introduction is a hug or handshake, things like this. Oftentimes here, you go to other places, it's, it's a kiss, kiss on the cheek, whatever that might be. So we will start with the ladies here. Okay, okay so as I was um, looking at these verses, these last verses, I was reminded that Peter is not so much uh, giving a sermon here, But rather, this epistle is actually a letter. It's a letter from a faithful shepherd to a distant flock or from a brother in Christ who cares and is concerned for his fellow believers, wanting to be sure that we keep growing in the Lord and that we finish well, as Pat mentioned. Peter has, in the verses that we've looked over for the last um, couple of months, he has spoken truth to us. He has encouraged us. He's reminded how 
us how blessed we are that we're in Jesus and of the hope that we have in him. And tonight as we look at these verses, he's going to start off by also warning us. He's a faithful shepherd. In verse 8, where it says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Again, as Pat pointed out, the, the words there are just referring to be sober, be paying attention, stay alert. And you might say, why? And just as you mentioned, there is an enemy out there. We need our lives to be well-balanced and disciplined in the Lord and in his word for our protection. For, for us as wives in, the marriage, um, in our marriages, we need to be careful and alert in the way that we live, the places that we go, the friends that we hang with, what we read, what we watch on TV, what we look at on the internet. Will these things that I'm doing help me to stay true to Jesus and to my spouse? Will they enhance my marriage? And if I'm not sure, or if there's a question mark there, then probably I need to beware. Because the verse tells us the devil walks about. He prowls around. He's sneaky. He's subtle. He's always waiting to lure us, to tempt us, waiting for us to be vulnerable so that he can try to hassle us and stumble us in, the, in our walk with the Lord. In the message, this verse reads like this. Keep a cool head. Stay alert. The devil is poised to pounce and would like nothing better than to catch you napping. And that's what I love that verse. Just that whole idea of when we kind of, oh, it's not that bad. It's, it's, you know, this is not such a big deal. We need to beware because the enemy is always lurking about, looking for ways to cause us to stumble. Now you might say, wow, that kind of sounds a little scary, right? Well, don't, let's not forget what we learned about last week when Pastor Nacho and Carolyn share with us the amazing promise in verse 7. And remember, this is a letter, so it's not, the, the chapters and verses are for our convenience so that it's easy to look things up. But he just finished telling us how that we can cast all our cares, all our anxieties, all our fears upon the Lord because he cares for us. And I just started thinking about that a little bit, and I know that was the verse from last week, but started thinking about Peter the fisherman. Now, a fisherman would really understand the verb to cast. That, that would be a word that he understood very well because he's a fisherman. And it reminded me of some things. I'm not a fisher person. My husband is. But I have learned a few things on my date fish trips with my husband that you need to know about casting a fishing pole. And the first thing I put down is that it takes practice and discipline to cast properly. It looks so easy, but when you throw that little rod and want that little lure to go flying into the water, you usually have to do it over and over to practice. A couple of years ago, we were blessed to go with the junior high kids up to June Lake, and one of the, the adventures the kids got to do was fishing. So we were in charge of that, and just to see all these junior high kids you know, no one ever, I don't think, ever fished, but it just trying to get the thing off the hook or off the rod and into the water was quite a task. So you have to practice over and over. So too for us as wives, with our burdens, with our fears, our complaints and our cares, we need to bring them to Jesus over and over, every day sometimes. And we need to be reminded that he is able to carry all that we bring to him and his mercy is brand new for each and every time. Another thing I learned about casting is that when you get ready to cast your rod, I need to be aware of my surroundings. Otherwise, my hook and my line it could 
catch things. It could get snagged on things, get tangled up with things. I could end up in places I don't want to be. And again, that reminded me of a spiritual truth for us as women. When I'm discussing a care or a concern with my spouse, I need to be careful of where I go with that and not allow myself to get tangled up with all these other complaints that I want to dump on him at that moment. Or another thing that I am often guilty of is digging up old issues. You know, like the fishing thing, you throw the lure in the water and what comes up is an old boot or an old piece of trash or something. Sometimes when we discuss with one another and we have those maybe strong fellowship moments, I have to be careful that my line does not snag up all this other flesh and all this other junk in our discussion. But again, the enemy loves, it's a heyday for him when my flesh gets involved and gets in the way. Another thing I thought about with casting was that if I want to catch a fish, it depends on me casting my line in the exact area where the fish might be in the right place. And you know, and again, I thought, hey, there's a spiritual analogy for that. Where am I casting all of my cares and complaints, especially if they're about my spouse? Am I casting them with my girlfriends? Am I casting them with my coworkers? Am I casting them with the kids or my parents or my family members? Be careful as women, as wives. We need to be casting our cares to the right place and the right places to Jesus. He alone is truth and he will deal fairly with everyone involved. Something I've learned over the years is when I bring my complaints to Jesus and I am so sure I just can't wait for him to fix my spouse, quite often a lot of the fixing that goes on is me. And that's why I need to bring my cares to Jesus. My friends aren't going to be honest with me. They're going to rag on my husband with me. You know, sometimes my family members, the kids, the kids love when you gang up on one another because that gives them an out, you know. So we need to be careful and make sure we're casting our cares upon him. The last thing I thought of about um, casting is um, when you throw the little rod, you need to be sure you hold that little button or that whatever that little piece of the reel is, you have to hold it down so that the line actually shoots out. If you don't, then it just kind of slams back against the pole. And I just thought, you know, again, that's my life sometimes. Sometimes I forget to do that part and it's just stuck to the pole. How often do I fail to release my cares and my concerns to the Lord? I want to complain to him. I want to let him know what's going on with my spouse or my situation, but I won't let it go and just leave it with the Lord for him to handle it. I forget to hit that little release button, and I want to hang on to it to make sure the Lord's fixing it the way I want, or I get impatient with the Lord when it seems like maybe he's not handling it as quickly as I would like. The enemy loves when I take things back into my own hands. When, when I take matters into my care again, he loves that because I make a mess of things. So I just wrote for me, don't. Instead, verse 9 tells us what to do. And as Pat pointed out, it says to resist him steadfastly in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. That word resist, stand against, to withstand, to oppose, I can only resist the devil by standing firm in my faith, by looking to Jesus and his word for help and strength. Now, we are ladies that live in this age of empowered women, and um, we get fed this lie from the world and from the enemy that we can stand our own. We can handle it. We're, we're strong. 
And yet, um, and sometimes even in Christian marriages, oftentimes the woman might think of herself as the more spiritual one in the family. Be careful of those lies because apart from the Lord, we will fail. George MacDonald said this, only in our dependence on the Lord can we resist. That is the only place that you are safe and that you will be able to resist the wiles and the tricks of the enemy. James 4, 7 says a similar thing. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Step number one is submit to God. Now, don't. Um, next thing that I thought about is don't believe the enemy's lie that we're the only one who's going through this. And as Pat, you mentioned that as well, because verse 9 tells us that all of the family of God have trials at some point. We need to remind ourselves of that because it's quite often the enemy's right there whispering that in our mind as women. No one else has to go through this. No one else's husband is acting like this. Why do I have to do this? Why do I have to go through that? That's just a lie from the enemy. We're all in this boat together. We all have similar problems, and we all have similar issues. So don't let the enemy trick you in that area. When trials, disagreements, and tension are near your marriage, don't give the enemy an open door to cause division and havoc. Keep your guard up. Learn to recognize his lies lies that he likes to feed to us as women. It's okay to be in the flesh because he deserves it. It's okay to be angry so he really sees your point. It's okay to scream and to shout. That way you get his attention. It's okay to say those hurtful things. That way he pays attention. It's okay to pout and have that bad attitude of unforgiveness. The Lord would say, no, it's not okay. Don't listen to the lies of the enemy. Resist our sinful nature, and the only way that we can do that is through prayer and obedience to God's word. Verse 10 goes on to say, But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. And I just wrote for this one, Ah, the light at the end of the tunnel of suffering. The reminder that if God has allowed any trial in my life, he is also walking with me through that tunnel of suffering. This verse reminds us that our Lord is the God of all grace. He's the God of all favor. He's the God of blessings that we don't deserve. Again, another quote from George MacDonald, he says, he reminds us that his dealings with us are not based on what we deserve, but are based on his thoughts of love for us. And I just thought about that for us as women and as wives. If I apply that to my marriage, then I won't be treating my husband based on what I think he deserves or doesn't deserve at that moment. But instead, if I be like Jesus, then my response to him will be based on thoughts of love for him. That's what grace looks like. The New Living says it like this, in his kindness, God called you to share in his eternal glory by means of Jesus Christ. Well, when we think about that, he has called us to be able to share in his glory. We don't deserve it. We can't earn it. We, we are reminded of what we get to look forward to in eternity. And that can help us mentally and emotionally to endure any suffering or trial that we might have to experience right here and now. 2 Corinthians 4.17 says this, For our present troubles are small and won't last very long, yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. 
in verse 10, the second part of that verse, it says, after you have suffered a while. Again, a reminder, ladies, the trials that we might be enduring, even maybe in our relationships, they won't last forever. And they are actually working something for our good in the process. I know Pat's going to go into this a bit more, but just some of the things that I wrote down, they're going to restore us, make us whole, make us spiritually mature. They're going to confirm our faith. They're going to make us secure in our faith, able to bear up when the pressure is on. They're going to strengthen us and build endurance. The enemy loves to wear us down, to beat us down. Jesus loves to build us up. They're going to settle us and make us be firmly planted in a secure place, and that place is Jesus. They're going to make us what God designed us to be. So though we don't love trials and though we don't love tribulation, God has a purpose in all of it. In verse 11, it's kind of interesting that Peter, the next thing he says is, to him be the glory and dominion forever and ever, amen. It's kind of like Peter's having a little victory dance here. And I thought, you know, just thinking about all that God is doing and will keep doing despite what we see in the world around us, but despite the circumstances we might find ourselves in at this moment, even despite maybe how your marriage is going today, at this very moment, but God is still on the throne and he will accomplish his plans and his purpose in each of us. He is able and he is faithful. In the message, it, it reads like this. He gets the last word. Yes, he does. And I like that. God gets the final word in all of this. Not the world, not the enemy. Verse 12 goes on to say, as Pat read, by Silvanus, our fellow brother, as I consider him, that I have written to you. And um, as he pointed out, Silvanus, also people believe, is Silas. He was working with Peter on this letter. And as I, that's funny, we didn't compare notes, but... Um, I also love the thing that he called him my fellow brother. In some other versions, it said faithful brother, dependable brother. I have the highest regard for him. And I just thought, ladies, how do we apply that to us? Are we that kind of helpmate for our spouse? Does he see us as faithful, dependable? Do we give him reasons that he would hold us in highest regard? And I just put, Jesus, make me more like Silas that my husband would say that of me. In verse 12, Peter and Silvanus remind us of their purpose for writing this letter, to exhort or encourage and stimulate our faith, especially in the middle of trials, and to testify, to assure us of God's unchanging grace, which is able to help us stand. Though we might experience trials, don't let the discouragement overwhelm you. Don't listen to the lie that God doesn't see that he doesn't hear your cry for help, that he doesn't care. Don't give up when you fail and feel like you don't deserve God's grace anymore. We never did deserve it and we never will. It's undeserved favor. And in the middle of those hard times, it's time for us to stand upon God's promises, to believe what God says, to receive it, and to live like we believe it. Verse 13 Again, she who is in Babylon, elect together with you, greets you, and so does Mark, my son. What stuck out to me, um, because I don't know who she who in, the ba in Babylon is exactly, the elect chosen together with you. Believers throughout the world are family. We're all in this together. And I also love that Peter mentions Mark, my son. Mark was not his biological son, but more he was like a son, like a son in the faith. This Mark, who is also known as John Mark, is believed to be the author of the Gospel of Mark. 
and he was probably it was probably written during this time when they were spending time together because he could have been with Peter and they could have been sharing his eyewitness account of walking with Jesus and no doubt as Peter began to recount the many times that of things that went on as he walked with the Lord he was probably reminded of many of his own failures with Jesus his worst one being that he denied him just before his death even though he promised him he never would and yet Mark, this Mark, he had some failures of his own. He, as a young man, went out with Paul and Barnabas on a missionary tour. But he couldn't hack it, and he went back home early. And his failure caused this huge disagreement between Paul and Barnabas, which ended in an angry fight, and then both going separate ways for the next missionary trips. But you know, when you think about that, both Peter and Mark, they both failed the Lord. They both experienced God's amazing grace, though. Grace that restored them and healed them and even made them useful in spite of their failures. I find that to be so encouraging for us because when we fail, God's not done with us. The grace, they experienced his grace that enabled them to stand against the enemy. That's the same grace that's available to you and to me and is here for us now. Maybe you have failed as the perfect wife. His grace can restore and renew you. Maybe you feel like your spouse has failed to be the perfect husband. The grace of God is sufficient for him too. We need to be patient and let God do what he's doing. And you know what I love about this part and why I bring up this whole thing about Mark is because it reminds me that what the enemy means for evil, God will use for good. You know, later in the book of Acts, God restored Paul and Barnabas. They had this big blowout, and it's recorded for us to see, but God restored them. He used their division to send the gospel to two areas rather than one. So the enemy meant it for evil, but God used it for good. And also in the book of Acts, later on, Paul asked for John Mark to, not in Acts, actually it's in Timothy chapter 4, he asked for John Mark to come to help him in the ministry once again. So God gets the glory even in our failures, and he has done great things, and he will continue to do them. Finally, in verse 14, Peter tells us to greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. In the message, it said to give holy hugs all around. One of the other versions said to give handshakes to the brethren. But for our sweetie, he probably would prefer we make it the kiss of love at the end. <laughs> God's unconditional agape love. Okay, your turn. <laughs> At the end. <laughs> At the end, amen. That was great. That was great, yeah. And it was funny because with 16, listen, 16 junior high kids, I only have uh, eight, about eight fishing rods, and none of them had ever fished before. Let's, let's, I never put a hook on a single one of them because I was scared to death that they were going all over the place. I just put little bobbers and they'd, they'd try to throw them out. Anyways, that was a lot of fun. That was good. Anyways, again, for me, I did hone in on verse 10 and just want to kind of real briefly, I'll do this as quick as I can, just kind of talk about um, verse 10 when Peter says, the God of all grace, what he wants to do within our lives. Again, after suffering, and again, as Carolyn said last week, you know, there's the engagement ring, there's the marriage ring, and then there's the suffering. suffering. Uh, all part of our walk 
with the Lord. Listen, I was talking, just praying with a guy from India, a missionary friend of mine, right, you know, at 5 o'clock tonight. And we pray every day at 5. And he was just sharing with me the stuff that's going on there. And it's just, it's just crazy. Of, and both him, his wife, and his daughter all came down with COVID. And, but people are, you know, they're dying and they're just all, you know, it's, it's just, uh, and he knows a lot of missionaries who, uh, they're in India. Again, um, of the top 10 cities, India has seven of the top most populous cities in the world. It's a lot of people and stuff, but he just, he asked for prayer. His name's Bill, his wife is Alice. Um, so if you can think about that, just, just pray. But we had a time of prayer and stuff, but just the things that are going on, it's just crazy that, and he was just talking about how if the Lord is choosing to allow us to suffer, whatever this would look like, then then the Lord, you know, the Lord's in control and the Lord knows that. But um, for us, and I love this because Peter prays specific things um, for his readers. All of these things are very, very closely related in a sense when you're looking at the words. But um, he prays that the Lord would perfect establish, strengthen, and settle. And as we go through, I'm going to just go through these real quickly, but everyone, and they all kind of have to do with almost the same thing. But um, again, for us men, listen, I believe God wants to do this. And, and the first thing is, is perfect, but really it's literally, it's to repair or adjust. Again, if something is damaged or is in need of repair, God is the one who wants to do the work. Again, men, can I remind us, each one of us, we are not perfect. And I'm sure if you ask your wife, um, she could remind you of ways in which you are not perfect. In fact, James tells us in chapter 3, For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he's a perfect man, also able to bridle the whole body. Even the Apostle Paul, Philippians chapter 3, says, I've not arrived I am not perfect. And yet, men, if you believe, listen, because I know a lot of guys who do, uh, I've had countless people sitting on my couch, couples, and one or the other feels they've done absolutely nothing wrong, that they are Mary Poppins, perfect and practically perfect in every way, and yet it's all the other person's fault. But yet, if that's where you really feel that you're at, you're, you're, you're really tying God's hands to move and to work and to speak into your hearts and to your lives. And again, Paul says, man, I, I, I am not apprehended or arrived, but I'm reaching out. I'm pressing towards the higher calling of God. Again, Paul and Peter would tell us, men, that we, in a sense, we are damaged goods, and yet God knows that, and yet is willing to do a work within our hearts and our lives to repair, to adjust whatever it is that's wrong within my life. God gives us a promise, Philippians 1, 6, he who began a good work in you will complete or perfect that work. It's him. I mean, God wants to perfect you. He wants to repair. He wants to adjust you. But if we don't think that anything's broke, again, we're keeping him from being able to do that. Again, Jesus said, man, I didn't come for those who are well. I came for those who are sick, who know they need healing. I don't know about you, but like Paul says, man, I, and this is at the end of his life. He said, I am the chief of sinners. Paul knew that he was broken and how much he needed the Lord, the grace of God, the mercy of God. How much do we need God to perfect us? First John 4, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment 
But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. The man who experiences the precious marriage is a man who's allowing the Lord to work within his life, to repair the things that are broken, to fill his heart and his life with God's love, and continues to reach out to the Lord, to press towards God each and every moment of his life as he is being perfected by the Lord. So to perfect us, also meant to establish us. This is to set fast what is being worked on so that it doesn't tip over. Again, these are all kind of construction terms, but it's, it's to set fast so that, so that it won't tip over. Have you ever felt like your marriage is tipping over? It's on the rocks, you know? Again, speaking of things that are unstable, wobbly, you know, they're going to tip over at the next big storm. Again, God wants to set our feet on the rock or set your marriage, set fast your marriage so that it doesn't tip over. The other morning I got out of bed and I stood up and it was like, I've never had vertigo, but I kind of felt like, man, I am getting dizzy. And I like, I had to grab the wall and then I sat back down because I was kind of felt like things were spinning. I told Mary, I said, man, I'm kind of feel like I'm just really, really dizzy. And again, the enemy wants to vertigo our marriages to get everything spinning out of control that you'll tip over. And yet God is the one who wants to establish your marriage, establish your life. David said in Psalms, 190, Psalms 90, let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us. Establish the work of your hands uh, for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Paul says that God wants to comfort your hearts and establish you in every good work word and work, that our words and the work of our hands would be set fast so that it would not fall over. Now to you, now unto him who is able to establish you. Man, let's not allow our marriages to be in that place of perpetually spinning out of control, that crazy cycle that we've learned about in the past. It just keeps spinning and it's just like you're just going nowhere but down. It's just spinning, 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 down, down, down. And, you know, things are set and it's just going down, down, down. Kind of like Jonah. Again, when you look at the life of Jonah, it says Jonah went down to Joppa. He went down into the boat. He went down into the lowest parts of the boat. And then because of the storm, they throw Jonah over and he goes down into the sea. A great fish swallows him up and it says it takes him down to the bottom of the sea. There was no more down that Jonah could go. This is where, and then is when he cried out to God. But again, oftentimes within our marriages, we allow that crazy cycle. Uh, something is said and then there's reaction and then there's reaction to what's said and we just spin and things are out of control. And again, man, the Lord wants to establish you so that you're not tipping over. You get off that emotional roller coaster that takes you up and down and up and down. And, you know, again, God wants to set our feet on the rock. That is Jesus Christ. He wants to establish us in our walk with him. He wants to establish us within our marriage. Again, let God work on you with your words, the work of your hand, and let God take you up out of that horrible pit and set your feet upon the rock. And then the next word is to strengthen. Again, to, to make stronger or to sturdy. Uh, again, they're all very, very similar words. It's this one, just making stronger. David says, Psalms 27, verse 13, again, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. He says, I would have lost heart 
unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage. He shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Again, that's a verse that I've been quoting since the beginning of the, the whole COVID thing. And I want to remind us tonight, do not lose heart, but allow the Lord to strengthen your heart. How about your marriage? Have you lost heart in the marriage? You know, the old King James, it says, I would have fainted. Mm -hmm. And again, sometimes we find ourselves, and even in marriage, fainting or ready to give up on the marriage. But the Lord would say to us tonight, do not lose heart. Strengthen your heart. Mm -hmm. Isaiah the prophet says this. He says, strengthen the weak hands, make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who are fearful hearted, be strong and do not fear. Behold, your God will come and he will come and he will save you. Strengthen the weak hands. Mm -hmm. Jesus said, be watchful and strengthen the things which we remain. Again, whatever it is that's left, God wants to strengthen. And you may say, well, there's nothing left, but the Lord would say to you, fear not. I am with you. Do not be dismayed. I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteousness uh, right hand. Men, let the Lord hold you and strengthen you. The Lord knows there's trials, there's tribulations that are ahead. Again, remember, the words of Jesus to Simon Peter when he said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But he says, but I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you return to me, he says, strengthen your brethren. Men, again, know that the Lord, Jesus Christ, he is in heaven interceding, praying for you that you should not fail, that you should not faint, that you would be strengthened as well as you would be able to strengthen your wife as well. And lastly, it's to settle. And this is to lay the foundation or to lay a basis for. How is our foundation holding up? The Bible says when the whirlwind passes by, the wicked is no more, but the righteous has an everlasting foundation because our foundation is not based upon what I have done, but what on God's word says. It's righteousness and justice are the foundation of God's throne. Mercy and truth go before his face. God's building material for his foundation is righteousness, justice, mercy, truth. What is the building material that we are using for our foundation, as well as for our lives, as well as for our marriages? Jesus said, whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you whom he is like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose and the stream beat vehemently against that house, it could not shake it, for it was founded on the rock. Remember Peter chapter 2, he told us this. He says, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect and precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he's precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And then he says, they stumble being disobedient to the word to which they were also appointed. Listen, men, is Jesus precious to you? Or are you offended because maybe you do not believe? The foundation needs to be Jesus. He is the only one. 
that can allow you to experience this precious marriage that we've been talking about. Let Jesus settle you. My son and daughter-in-law, they have this dog and it's, uh, it's part pit and it's a big dog and it's all muscle, but it's just hyper. It's like a little puppy, and, but it's big. I mean, it knocks you over. And the other day, you know, we go in, but my son is trying to train the dog. And so it's always settle, 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 get the dog to calm down. And we went over the other night to babysit and the dog, you know, was kind of like doing his thing. And he's, he's just, she's just looking at me, looking at me. And then she, you know, settle, settle. So she went around the corner. And then as we walked in, he came up and he like wanted to give me a kiss and he almost knocked me out. I mean, he hit my face so hard. <laughs> I'm like, oh, dog. And I'm thinking, it, it's still jumping. It's, it's disobedient to the word that's appointed to him. <laughs> yeah. You know, another meaning of the word settled is resolve or reach an agreement about an argument or a problem. Again, Jesus wants to settle any of the problems within your marriage. Again, men, let's not be disobedient to the word but lay that foundation to build our house, uh, to build your marriage upon the rock, upon Jesus Christ, then is when we will experience the precious marriage in him. Let's pray. Father, again, we do thank you, Lord. And again, even as I shared about, um, Lord, my brother over there in India, I pray for Bill and Alice, would you touch them and be with them, and Lord, bring about healing in their body for all of the work that they're doing and translating into different languages and stuff. Give them great wisdom and discernment and continue to use them for the people that he was sharing with me, uh, family members, Lord, who have passed away and, and the things that are going on over there uh, in India. It's, it seems like it's a little crazy right now, but God, would you move and work and, and bring about a healing? And I thank you for for him and for his wife and keeping them alive, continue to watch over them. And yet, Lord, we do pray as well for others, Lord, even in our own fellowship, those I'm thinking about now that are part of our marriage ministry who aren't feeling well or are sick or at home and not doing well. Lord, would you touch them? Would you bring about healing to them? But Father, again, tonight, as we come before you, again, closing out this study, again, Lord, you have reminded us of things. And I appreciate that. I love the fact uh, that we are to called to cast our cares upon you because you care for us. And Lord, help us not to be entangled with the things of the enemy because he does. He's got a purpose, and that is to still, to kill, and to destroy. And Lord, if we allow him, that's what he is going to do. Help us, Lord, to resist him steadfast. Help us to stand. God, with the armor of God on. And Lord, I, I, I ask as Paul prayed these things, that we would be perfected, established, we would be strengthened, we would be settled in you. Lord, would you do that work in each and every one of our hearts, reminding us, God, that we need you so desperately. We need the God of all grace to become that within our hearts and lives, within our marriages, Lord, that we might make it, Lord. We would not tip over, falter, or be shredded by the enemy, but we would simply stand in you because we're, 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 our foundation is the rock of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. So, Lord, thank you again for this time. Be with each and every one of us. Watch over us. Um, 
and just continue to lead and guide and direct us. And Lord, wherever you would take us in marriage ministry in the summer or for next uh, in the fall and stuff, we just ask you would give the wisdom and you would lead and you would guide. So we thank you and we do praise you in Jesus' name. And all God's people agree by saying amen, amen. amen.